The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Deb Calvert, co-author of Stop Selling and Start Leading, and you're listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Deb Calvert, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? I am excellent, and what a good idea this is. Thank you for inviting me. Well, my pleasure, and I'm excited to be able to reconnect with you, and I hope you're you're doing well, you're, you're healthy. So far, so good. Uh, waiting for that moment when I get to go back on an airplane and visit a different city, though. Yes, and you said you've been uh, quarantined for, well, not traveling for, for a while now. I've been really quarantined and not traveling even outside our own property for two months as of today when we record this, um, except for an occasional stop at the post office where we have a P.O. box. I have not been anywhere. I have not seen anyone but my husband. Uh, the good news is I still like him. <laughs> That's great to hear. Now, Deb Calvert, for those of us that are uh, playing the Deb Calvert Trivial Pursuit game at home, when you went to the post office, did you by any chance go to Peculiar, Missouri? <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> So, you know, when, you, when you're up on your Deb Calvert trivia, you know that her P.O. box is in Peculiar, Missouri, which, I don't know, I think that's one of the coolest sounding uh, places. I mean, right up there with Kalamazoo, Michigan, I think. So, <laughs> now you were on – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's a great little small town. I live – in a rural area. So that's my nearest town with the post office. And uh, I, I, I live rural because my big hobby, and this is the time of year for it, is straw bell gardening. So I'm having a good time with that. Straw bell gardening? What is that? Well, I plant 58 different crops inside straw bales instead of in the dirt, which means no bending, no weeding, no bugs, it's a lot easier to harvest things because by the end of the season, the straw bales have all broken down and then I can mulch my flower beds with those. Oh, and I don't even do any watering because I have it all on a timer system. It's super easy. Wow. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's great. So now you were on episode 165 and we're up to about episode 280 or so. And so you were on in March 2018. So for those listeners who haven't listened to that episode yet, but uh, you after this, you may go back to episode 165 and listen to it. Remind listeners who Deb Calvert is and uh, what you what you do when you do travel and uh, about what you've authored, not just the most recent book. Well, my company, 15 years this next month, uh, is People First Productivity Solutions. And we build organizational strength by putting people first. There are three arms of the business, team effectiveness, leadership development, and sales productivity. And what they all have in common, of course, is it's about getting people connected. Uh, the book, Stop Selling and Start Leading, that we talked about two, two whole years ago, I can't believe it, um, that is based on research with buyers. And my co-authors, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, are very well known in the domain of, of leadership development. The book is all about what buyers want. It's based on research with buyers. And it turns out that buyers would really like sellers to step into their full potential as leaders and to show up with leadership behaviors when they call on buyers. My first book was also based on research with buyers, 25 years uh, of research now uh, into that one. It's Discover Questions, Get You Connected. And the findings from that research were that always be closing, like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, Alec Baldwin, not very effective, right? No, ABC really should mean always be connecting. Mm. <laughs> That's what buyers want. They, they want real dialogue. They want to be genuinely involved in relevant, meaningful ways. Uh, and they want salespeople to be more authentic and less salesy. So before we get to talking about the pandemic and how it's affect, uh, affecting the listener's world and your thoughts on what folks should be doing and thinking in light of it, Remind us about the actual research. I seem to recall it was a rather large study of over 500 buyers. You bet. It was a Qualtrics panel study conducted through Santa Clara University. It's been written up now in a bunch of academic journals, and it was 530 B2B buyers. And we asked them about certain behaviors, the ones that in, in Jim and Barry's research are associated with effective leadership. We asked them about 30 behaviors and how they would respond if sellers more frequently demonstrated those behaviors. And for every single one of the 30, it was compelling. It was clear that buyers were saying, yeah, if a seller did that more frequently, I'd be more likely to meet with that seller. I'd be more likely to buy from that seller. And that seller would be differentiated in my mind. That That's the person I, I want to come calling on me. I remember when I interviewed you two years ago, I, I couldn't resist. I had to make the joke, you know, what, what do women want? And we didn't talk about that. We talked about <laughs> what do sellers want, or excuse me, what do buyers want? And what, what are some of those things that the buyers said, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I want? Well, some of them are, are super obvious, things like being treated with dignity and respect. Less obvious, and, and it came out in their comments, were things like 
I want everyone in my organization to be treated with dignity and respect. I don't want you to treat the receptionist or the person who answered the phone any differently than the way you treat me. And that's a, a big hang up for them. Um, they want sellers to engage them in a true two-way dialogue as opposed to it being, I'm just asking you my qualifying questions and I'm racing ahead to pounce on whatever need you might bring up and I'm coming back to you with some sort of solution I created in a vacuum. And Oh, and another super obvious one, but really important, buyers want sellers to do what they say they will do, to live up to their promises and commitments, trust at the beginning because of what you said already, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and all those other uh, negative stereotypes are out there. We're battling those. And so at the beginning, when, a, when we're coming from a deficit position, buyers judge sellers pretty harshly. And if we slip up even a little, we say we'll call at 9, but we don't call till 9.30. Well, we didn't uh, live up to our, our promise or commitment, and it's a big strike against us. Yeah. I remember in the book, you explained about what, you know, like selling is kind of misunderstood and, and this idea of leadership may be misunderstood. And I, I was wondering if you could clarify that for us again, where the leadership is not commanding people to do something. It's, it's more, about, more about service. Can you talk more about what you mean by, by leading? You bet. I think there are a few clarifications that ought to be made. The first is that when, when we say leadership, we are not talking about management. Those are two entirely different yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Managers manage. They get today's work done today. Leaders guide. They take people to a new place that they haven't been before but want to be. They chop down the, the vines that are in the way and, and they make a path forward. That's what I'm talking about. And, and leadership is not reserved for a select few. It's not available, accessible, only to people who were born with certain traits. Leadership boils down to choices that you make, behavioral choices. And those behaviors are simple, like the ones we already talked about. They're, they're choices you make. They're outward expressions of your intention. And when you're working in a buyer-seller relationship, somebody has to lead. We can't defer to the buyer and expect them to take us to a new place. They won't. Why would they? Well, and they may not know where they really need to go. Exactly. They, they want someone who's going to have confidence and capability to facilitate first a conversation about where is that place and then to inspire that vision that we now share together, inspire meaning to breathe life into it over and over again, and, and to encourage the buyer along the way, when the going gets tough inside, they're fighting battles and they're making decisions and they're finding budget and they're saying no to other vendors and relationships to sustain that, to, to buoy them uh, while they're doing all that internal work is an important part of leadership too. Do you think that buying is getting more difficult? I do in a way, which is contrary to what some would initially think at first blush it looks like it's easier because buyers have more choices than ever. They can do their work online. But buying well has gotten more difficult because of the plethora of choices and the assumptions that you have all the information that you need. I often hear a lot of buyer's remorse that seems to be from sellers not truly leading. And, and to be fair, 
buyers not giving them a chance to do that because the buyer mistakenly believed they had all that they needed. Hmm. Or that they thought they that they needed. Yes. And there was one other thing in the book that I just had to chuckle. I still remember this, and I'd like you to explain it. And that is, there was a joke about how, the, the related to the Challenger sale, that, that whole notion, that book from maybe 10 years ago, which I, I really liked, and how it's really misunderstood <laughs> by 26-year-olds mm-hmm. coming into a company and telling them they're doing something all wrong. Can you unpack all that? Yeah, I, I was at a sales 2.0, maybe it was 3.0 event in San Francisco at the time. And I watched a speaker, I don't remember who it was, but it was somebody who represented a, a brand. And the person on stage said something along the lines of, and I don't need any more 26-year-olds telling me how to run my business and, and breaking out the challenger sale and using all that crap with me. And the room burst into thunderous applause. So this was certainly not one person feeling that way. And really, it was unfortunate because there is good, there are good takeaways in the challenger sale. Mm-hmm. But misunderstanding them and putting the cart before the horse, putting the, the I'm going to go challenge somebody ahead of the relationship that, that ought to be built, uh, that's a, a misapplication of, of what's in there. <laughs> it makes me wonder if they even read the book. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I'm supposed to challenge everyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so one question that keeps coming up that I've heard from you know people, listeners, I see on social media, people struggling with this, and, and even a couple of uh, other authors of sales books who you know, we've, we've touched on this in this uh, hopefully limited time series about they get this question, is it okay to sell yet? Is it okay to sell now? What, how does that strike you? Well, okay, it's this is also a misunderstanding. Yes. <laughs> kind of <laughs> is it okay question, to sell guess, now? Yeah. yeah. Is it okay to sell now implies that there's something wrong with selling or that you're doing something to one, uh, somebody else. What I think is important to note here is that the original word sell, it came from selling, and it meant to provide something that someone needs. And the original word for buy, beckon, meant to uh, accept something that you need. So the intersection of buying and selling is all about a need. And selling ought to happen anytime, every time that there's a need that you can meet. If you don't think it's okay to be selling right now, the real question you need to be asking is, why aren't you finding the people who need what you have? And if you if you would say, nobody needs what I have right now, well, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> that we need to have because that's either inaccurate or, wow, maybe it's time to, <laughs> to be thinking ab- about a different place. There, there are people who need what you have regardless of these current circumstances. And yes, people's focus is divided right now, but there are still needs and, and there might be more work we have to do to figure out who needs and, and could be talking to us about those needs. But don't forget that it's all about the intersection, the need. So what comes to mind for me is one listener to the Marketing Podcast who is the head of sales and marketing for a hotel in Charleston, South Carolina, near the convention center. So what would – now, he's fine. He's had a long, successful career, so I'm sure he's doing just fine. But what – 
what would somebody in that instance be doing if I, I'm, I'm guessing here, they might be calling up people that they've been talking to in the past and maybe all their events are closed. What would somebody in that somewhat extreme situation, what might they be doing? Yeah, that is an extreme situation. And yet there's going to be at least everyone I've talked to says there's going to be some, uh, there's a a demand that's building up. People Mm -hmm. are going to want to travel. I know I do. (laughs) People are going to want same space events. People are going to want partners that they can rely on for cleanliness and for safety standards and for this next normal that we're going to enter into. So I would want someone to tell me about what an event's going to look like in the future and how they're going to protect me and how they're going to, if there should be some other outbreak or need to scale back, how they're going to honor the fact that these are extraordinary circumstances and, and our contract needs to be modified. The, the needs are a little different. It's not buy the venue space today, book the rooms now. It's let's make sure that you understand that I understand. And, mm. and I, I, I feel your, your fear and your apprehensions and let's work on those together. So it's partly information gathering and it's relationship nurturing and it's stepping in as a leader to guide somebody, help them see what the next is going to look like. Great answer. And uh, the, especially the part about building the relationship. And my sense is that let's say it's a meeting planner or a convention planner or something like that. They probably need somebody to talk to. They've probably got their own clients yes. uh, worried and, and asking what they should be doing and thinking about. Um, now, and that's probably one of the more extreme examples. I mean, I'm thinking like, if, let's say you're in charge of sales for a cruise ship line or something like that. That's that's at the the other end. Most, I'm guessing here, most other things that are sold, there's still a need for it. Absolutely. And even the cruise industry, they're, they're canceling people's vacations left and right. But someday, those people who had a budget for, a deposit on, a need or desire to, to take a trip someplace, uh, are they going to do it with your cruise line or are they going to go somewhere else? So th- there's work to be done. Mm-hmm. Are you getting questions from from uh, your world, and 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 what are some of the things that some of your clients are struggling with, or or wondering how to figure out? Well, the question is, what can we do in the interim? So at mm. first, it was full stop, halt, <laughs> breaks. We don't. We got to scramble and figure out which end is up. And then the question became more about, okay, well, we don't know exactly when things are going to open up and we're a little tentative. We don't want to uh, overcommit, but what can we be doing in the meantime? And in the meantime, for example, with team effectiveness work, well, you've really got to have a team together to, to do what I believe is true, <laughs> building up of, of strong bonds between team members. But there are some foundational pieces that we can lay and the assessment work that that we can do uh, ahead of time. So I I think it's about not cut paste, pretend it all could be virtual. It's about looking for very strategically how this makes sense to roll it out gradually. I'm getting a lot of calls. Thank goodness I had a digital agency a few years back who had the foresight to push me into this, but I'm getting a a lot of calls about what can we do right now with webinars or or virtual training, because we've got employees who are 
getting a little bored and we see an opportunity for learning and development to to be offered now when they get back they're going to be super busy but uh, how can we use this time wisely right now hmm so have you been getting requests for additional training and things like that I have I've I've been I'm lucky um because of that agency and what they did they they forced me to add some web pages that I otherwise wouldn't have about webinar offerings and they helped me get optimized for webinar and e-learning and virtual training and and some terms that are making my phone ring so I'm pretty busy and I feel fortunate for that I know that's not true for a lot of folks Yes well that's that's great that you were poised to help uh like that are some of the as it relates to the team work that you do? Are they were they were some of them th- suddenly thrust into this virtual environment? Oh yeah, yeah, and and I've had several things that have had to rebook or just push it out until they don't know when. Something that was going to happen in May for a large company, a, a team of of forty, so two uh, parts of an organization that weren't quite effectively handing off and talking to each other. We've tentatively set a date in August. But that even has a question mark around it because they just don't know. And in their state, they have pushed out the um, we're opening back up conversation quite a bit. So it's it's up in the air. But I, I'm still looking and we're still finding ways to nibble around the edges and, and to prepare that group uh, for when we eventually can get together. Are you getting a lot of questions about the topic of virtual sales? Not as many as I might have anticipated. I think sales is a little slower. The calls I'm getting the most are about leadership development. Mm. And people are hungry for that, ready for that, feel that they can do that on their own. In sales, I think what's holding back some of those conversations uh, are the the ideas about what's going to happen next. Are we always going to be working virtually? And if so, maybe we do need that. But if we're going to go back to the way things were before – this is just a, a temporary situation and, and we don't want to invest a lot of time in that. So um, when I have conversations, that's sort of the dialogue that, that, that there's a bit of, of um, resistance to go all in on virtual for, for selling. Yes. It just makes me wonder how much was virtual before. I don't know. For me, it's sort of like, um, it was nice knowing that I could always uh, go get on a plane or, you know, go visit a client or do that sort of thing. But the fact is, it seems like most of the time, once we'd established a relationship, hopefully with some face-to-face, uh, at least early in the early on, it I, I've started to reflect back on how long we're able to get keep going without even seeing each other, <laughs> and so it, it makes me think, you know, well, maybe maybe we weren't using as much. I mean, it's always better to to get together with folks, but I, I in in certain instances, we we have not skipped a beat, but I think that's because we had already had a good, solid working relationship. And this was an existing client. Well, and this is quite specific to industry and, and size of deal that you sell. Um, some industries, salespeople never, ever meet the clients that they serve for years. Mm-hmm. It's all by phone. And, and some have started using Zoom and other virtual platforms so they at least get some FaceTime. But in other places, it's deeply entrenched that we do business in person, that we have relationships, that we fill in the blank, something in person. And it's, um, it's in their minds, going to put them at a competitive disadvantage. Nobody wants to be first to make sort of a shift to inside selling before this or virtual selling after this. 
Uh, so they're, they're they're struggling to figure out what their go-to-market strategies look like. Yeah, well, I guess if nobody's traveling right now, just like you aren't, <laughs> um, that's it's sort of like uh, nobody really has that advantage right now. It's maybe in the same city, but even then you don't want to get together with folks uh, too much. Um, it just seems like it's harder to kick off a relationship virtually uh, if you're if you're not used to doing that. It is. And I'll make a big generalization here too. Uh, a lot of salespeople gravitate to sales roles because they are people people. <laughs> they they're mm. very extroverted. They they really they rely maybe even too heavily on their uh, ability to have a great rapport with someone, to strike up a conversation, to do the face-to-face thing. And they would opt out. Many of them would opt out if they didn't have that level of, of interaction. They That's why inside and outside salespeople are often not the same stripe. They, they have different makeup. Uh, they, they choose partly because of, of how comfortable and how desirable it is for them to be with people. Hmm. Yeah. And maybe a little bit about, I, I may be uh, one of those people where I just wanted to get together with folks, but what are... You know, we're always saying sales has changed. Actually, I think that's the way people buy has changed. Um, but what are some of the changes that you have seen in what effective salespeople do when you started your career versus what you're you're seeing now? Is it more similar things or are there certain things that are now more important than when you started your career? Well, tech is certainly a big factor. And so if we're to say sales has changed way back when I was first selling, <laughs> there was no such thing as a CRM. Um, you didn't have an opportunity to figure out because you had a, a recording of your call and got some coaching and it helped you understand your your cadence. You didn't know what your win-loss ratios were. There's just so much that information that you did not have and so many tools and resources and efficiencies that were not available then. I think even when you and I started out, we didn't we didn't have caller ID, and I definitely didn't have oh, uh, no. email. <laughs> no, none of that. Yeah, it was a telephone. <laughs> I remember when I got my first pager. You know, so. <laughs> that was probably yeah, um, that was actually kind of revolutionary. This pager for the younger yes. people. What she's talking about? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so the tech. Yes, and I think that's good and bad. I I, I do think. Tech and enablement uh, can get in the way of of selling if we don't use it correctly. It should be an, a tool and an enhancement to a relationship, not a replacement for it. Yes, there's an author I've interviewed a couple times who you may know, Mike Weinberg, and he's in uh, Missouri as well, I believe. Other side of the state. Other yep. side of the state. Oh, one of those other side of the state people. Okay. Yes, them. <laughs> so he, he's always, you know, he and many others are talking about how he never saw somebody not make their quota or not be successful because they didn't have the latest tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. In other words, he's always saying the basics are still the basics. Yep. No matter what's going on. No, I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I think he and I are like-minded in that way. I wouldn't go so far as to say that there aren't useful adaptations that we can make. Um, personally, believe that if you have a, a well-rounded approach to selling, you've got the right sales hacks, you've got the right tech stack, you've got the right inbound strategy, and you've got the skills and the knowledge and the 
the traits to go out there and, and do sales the way sales has always been done. Finding a need, meeting a need, persisting enough in the right way as a leader to step in and, and fill that need with that client and, and involving them so that they're uh, putting their own personal imprint on it. And that brings me back to what you're talking about in terms of leadership and teamwork. There's this saying that I keep seeing called uh, people, process, and technology. And I can't remember which books I've, I've seen. it. Maybe it was yours. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it was <laughs> they talk about how a lot of times an organization will want to buy the technology because they think that will then lead them uh, to the right process and then their people will be more effective. And most are saying, look, you got to start with the people and uh, solve that problem and then follow a process which doesn't necessarily need the technology. And then the technology should come last if it's helping an existing process. Yeah, I, those are not exactly my words, but that's absolutely how I feel about the approach to, to any business that you do. It's why for 15 years, I've been running this company called People First Productivity <laughs> Solutions. <laughs> I must have read it in your it's, it's <laughs> After a few hundred of these books, though, they're all kind of merging together. And I start to see I, I'm, uh, this, this uh, pattern matching where mm -hmm. uh, people, well, and, and it's, it's, a lot of authors are talking about it because there's this need or there's this desire to say, well, we don't have a sales process. I'm making this up. We don't have a sales process, but if we start using a CRM, we'll start following a process. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you see companies um, that are yeah. thinking that? Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I work with companies who think that. Um, oh, and then they call you. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So the evolution of, of business, it's a, only in the last decade, and in some cases less, where we've had an emphasis on customer experience and now more recently, employee experience. And both of those movements are all about putting people first. The problem is when they get over-saddled with process and tech to have the customer experience, process and tech to have the, the employee experience, you're leaving out the most important part. Customer, employee, those words are people words. And it, so it's a, it has to start with the right philosophy. And culture stems from that. And everything else is subsidiary to your people and your culture. Well, Deb, any other thoughts about what people should be keeping in mind as they're going through a situation which might be not so good right now and there's a lot of uncertainty? Yeah, I, I, I think it's really important to say this. Um, and it's really the only novel thing I have to say um, about this time that we're in and the uncertainty and in some cases the tragedies that, that, are, that are happening all around us. It seems that everyone has felt compelled to say something or do something or offer something and it's why every commercial we hear starts with the, that very empathetic tone in these uncertain times. You know? Yes. Uh, and I'm getting fatigued by the emails from everybody that I've ever, ever heard, ever done business with. Suddenly they pulled out and dusted off their old list and they, they've written these, you know, compassionate sounding, well-meaning emails, but um, I'm, I'm, they aren't authentic feeling, and it becomes opportunistic seeming. So I like to tell people it's okay to say nothing. 
you don't have to have the words and you don't have to say the words everyone else is saying. I actually, for the first time in 15 years, I put my two blogs that I write each week and my newsletters that I send each week on a pandemic pause. And I did that because I didn't have anything unique to say. And I, and I don't believe that, um, more of the same is, is all that useful. So I've been reaching out and talking with people one-to-one instead. And it's not that I have answers or solutions. It's that I'm interested in knowing how you're doing, what, what's going on with you. And that's the whole conversation. That works for me. I, I, it may not work for everyone, but I want people to know it's an option and, and it's okay. Oh, I think you just made a whole lot of people feel a lot better. <laughs> you don't have to be sending a message. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this video compilation of all these TV commercials and it's called All COVID Ads Are the Same. Mm. I'll send you a copy and I'll also include uh, I'll, I'll include that video in this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com where people can go and see uh, you know, get get links to uh, your business and and uh, your past interview on the marketing book podcast and so forth. But it's you see that and you think, oh, and I, you know, and I don't want to beat up on all these companies because I part of it may be driven by their legal team saying you've got to say some message or something, and everyone wants to feel like they're they're doing something. I mean, I probably started this series just because I felt like I needed to do I needed to do something and I wanted to help. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and I appreciate you coming on, but I think what you just said is such an interesting opening line. If you call up a customer or a prospect or a friend and you just say, what's going on with you? What's yeah. going on with you? You know, I'm just curious. <laughs> no. And I, and I ask people, what, what are you experiencing there? Because I don't know. And I wouldn't want to assume that what's happening in New Jersey is the same as what's happening here in Missouri. And sure, we've got some common ground, but why would I assume that or start with that? And I've heard some incredible stories that people haven't had a chance to necessarily tell the other vendors and, and business relationship folks that, that they have. So it's been, it's been interesting. And, and it has created some good bonds. And I've had a lot of people express just appreciation for the humanity of it. So, it, but it, it fits me. It doesn't necessarily fit everyone. I, I get that. I think it's a great thing for folks just to call people up and say, hey, we haven't spoken in a while. What's going on with you? Mm-hmm. And don't, if they want to talk about business, they can, but I think they would really appreciate the call. So, yes. and notice I use the word call. Yes. There's this smart device that we have in our pockets, which if you press a few of the right buttons, you can actually speak to another person. (laughs) And it's a glorious thing. (laughs) Yes, I know. And I know I sound like an old guy and I, and I am, but I'm, I, it's, I, I'm thinking about my kids who are in their twenties and I, you know, I'm not sure I I joke. I'm not sure that they ever speak on their phones very much because they're always communicating in in another way. But um, at any rate, well, Deb Calvert, I really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you again and uh, welcome you back for this uh, hopefully short uh, time uh, series of authors in quarantine getting cocktails. And what was the, uh, I took your picture, which I'm going to include at marketingbookcocktails.com. What was that bottle that you had that had your last name on it? Oh, that is part of my vintage collection of Calvert whiskey bottles, little ones. That one was Calvert Reserve. And where is this uh, whiskey of which you speak? Where is it from? 
Well, that is a good question. Calvert whiskey is actually um, distilled in the U.S. now, but or up till the time when it stopped. But um, originally, I believe it was from Scotland. So you'd probably like it. <laughs> and are you are you the heiress to the uh, Calvert whiskey uh, fortune? <laughs> no, no relation whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Not even. Not even my husband's, but oh. we like it because it carries our name. <laughs> yes, and you're clearly a great uh, brand ambassador. And you know what? We may actually have to just uh, hop on the Twitter and share that with those uh, those nice people from Scotland. Oh, That's nice. where they're making it, yes. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't think they're in business at all anymore, but, oh. uh, I, but oh, I'm no. hardly an expert on it. So, um. oh, well, Deb Calvert, you know what that means? It means you didn't drink enough of it when you could. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I was too busy drinking things like this lovely – red drink that I showed you, which is made of blossoms from my red bud tree. I made a simple syrup out of, uh, I'm getting creative, right? In, in the pandemic uh, downtime. Yes, but it's a beautiful drink. And again, that picture is going to be there as well. So people can see it. It really, it looked very nice. So scene one, Apple take two. An addendum to what uh, Deb Calvert just said, uh, after we got off this call, she sent me an email that said, my husband just let me know that I made two mistakes. Calvert whiskey used to be made in Canada, not Scotland, and it is still in production. So, of course, that sent me doing some research, and I looked it up, and uh, according to Wikipedia, Calvert is a blended whiskey produced in Claremont, Kentucky, and owned by Luxco, which is headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri being the same state as Deb Calvert. So... There you are. Apologies to anybody associated with uh, Calvert Whiskey. And uh, if you want to send me a bottle of it, uh, just please let me know and uh, I'll get you the right uh, addresses. Please send the first bottle to Mr. and Mrs. Calvert. And if you have another bottle, please send it my way. Now back to the conclusion of Deb Calvert, Authors in Quarantine, Getting Cocktails. Well, Deb, I hope that you and your husband and everyone in your world continues to stay uh, healthy and safe and sane, and we look forward to seeing you back on the road, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm all for that. Thank you so much, and I think this was a great idea. It's uh, nice to talk with you again, and you know, people are looking. They're looking for good information, and that's what you give them, so thank you. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.